Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. The message is entitled, Diversity Enhances Unity. Paul made the uh, transition from the doctrinal to the practical to admonish the Ephesians to walk in unity in verses 1 through 3. They were to walk worthy of their calling in verse 1. They were to yield to the divine virtues to enable them to bear up with one another in love in verse 2. And they were to do everything to not disrupt the divine unity of the Spirit in verse 3. Paul then gave the Ephesians seven reasons why they should walk in unity in verses 4 to 6. Because there is one body, one spirit, one hope or our calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Notice the general unity is presented under the Trinity. Seven times the word one is repeated. The Spirit is mentioned in verse 4, the Son in verse 5, and the Father in verse 6. Now Paul reverses the focus of the unity of one body with many members to magnifying unity by diversity of each individual endowed to be the functioning part of the body which God has determined, and it's characterized by three things here. Verse 7 says the following. Well, let me turn to Ephesians. I got Philippians. That won't do. But to each one of us, grace has been given according to the measure of Christ's gift. The individual endowment for the functioning part of the body is characterized by the following. First, the soundness of diversity. Second, the source of diversity. And thirdly, the sovereignty of diversity. Soundness, source, and sovereignty. Let's begin with the soundness of diversity. But to each one of us, Grace was given. Notice the Apostle Paul here started a new section. But it still is related to the previous one, going from unity to diversity. Paul made the transition clear by the word but, a contrasting conjunction. In verse 6, he focuses on the unity of many and all members being one body. In verse 7, he focuses on the individual in the one body, distinct and diverse from all others. Paul has focused on the unity of the one body despite the many members. Based on one spirit, one Lord, one God. Verse 4, 5, and 6, as we've pointed out. Notice Paul now focused on the individual that comprises the one body and includes himself, each one of us. Paul always included himself. He never exalted himself above others. He didn't look down on others, but he saw himself as from them, among them, and one of them. We have been told that the one, each person individual, sits in the heavenlies. Ephesians 1, 3, 1, 20, 2, 6, 3, 10, 6, 12. The one individual is in Christ. Ephesians 1, 12, 20, 2, 6, 10, 2, 13, 3, 4 other ones. The one is in him. Ephesians 1, 4, 7, 13, 3, 12. Everything is conjured around Christ. The one under the riches of Christ is mentioned. Ephesians 1, 7, 1, 18, 2, 7, 3, 8, 3, 16, 4, 19. In Christ, in him. The riches of Christ. The one who is God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Which God prepared before that we should 
walk in them. Ephesians 2.10 So God has a very specific will, purpose, direction, equipping, enabling for each individual. Yeah, we're all united in one body. But that diversity comes in, which really enhances and magnifies unity. Notice the Apostle Paul is going from unity of the many again to magnify unity by diversity of each individual endowed by God. Paul indirectly stated that there is no individual in the body of the church that has not been equipped or enabled to fit or be part of the body. How often people say, or maybe you said it yourself, well, you know, I really don't, don't have much talent, much ability. I really, I, I'm, are you a Christian? Then you're uniquely equipped. No one can take your place. God has enabled you, equipped you for all that is necessary for your life, personally and in the church. That's why everybody is to be involved. Now, I would say probably 10, 15% of the church gets involved. That's a lot. So it's like a football game. You've got a, a whole bunch of people in the stands that need a desperate exercise and a few guys in the field that need desperate rest. It's amazing to me what God has done in our lives and yet majority of people sit. The phrase was given, did oh my, means to give something to someone and they receive it. In this particular case, we're going to see it's grace. Grace is the, in this context, is not referring to saving grace. Grace cares, in this context, means the endowment imparted to each person for the life in Christ. More specifically, as we'll see within the work of ministry. The tense is the indicative error is passive, making it clear that this was an accomplished fact in the past, which would mean at your salvation. When a husband and wife come together sexually, and that egg and that sperm come together, and that egg is fertilized, and that child is conceived, everything, everything that child is ever going to be and have is in him, in his genes. Everything. The same with you in Christ Jesus when you're born again. God has never shortchanged anyone in salvation or preparation. Not one. No one's handicapped. No one's excluded. Paul is focusing on the key concept of God giving to each individual in this entire section that will run all the way down to the end of the chapter. He gave individual spiritual gifts to men in verse 8. We'll get into that as we move along. He gave the individual spiritual gifts as offices for men to serve in the church. Verse 11, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers, or pastors and teachers. And there's a hyphenated. We'll get that when we get there. So, Paul directly stated that the impartation to each individual was for effectiveness in the body. This hand, this other hand, this hand is not to compete with this hand. This hand is to enhance this hand when I grab things. The same with my legs. If I have my hands full and I've got to open something, my foot comes in. He helps out. I put my shoulder in. I fling it open. Diversity enhances 
Unity. Effectiveness. That's what God does every Sunday, ladies and gentlemen, in the morning, the evening, and during the week. God's people show up and God gets his work done. Amazing. And he does it with the few. <laughs> Not with the many. And he does it for the good of the body, for the edification of the body, and for the serving of one another in the body. That's why the individual is involved. No other reason. The soundness of diversity is at work in everything that is effective. In a baseball team, not everybody's a catcher. Not everybody's a pitcher. Not everybody's a water boy. Or a bad boy. <laughs> or a coach. In a family. Not everybody's a husband. Or the husband. Or the head. Or the mother. Or the son or the daughter. There's diversity. And our body is the greatest illustration. You ever see an athlete that's so... Excellent condition and so coordinated. The things they can do, whether it be football or gymnastics or skiing or whatever. It almost seems impossible at times. But because they have trained their members of their body to coordinate and the head's the one that gives all the orders. And they all obey and submit and do their best to the utmost even through injuries. What a picture that the Bible gives us for us to understand the body of Jesus Christ, an organism, not an organization. But too often the church body is spastic or crippled. It, 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 there's no reason for it at all. Every person in the body is significant. No one is insignificant for they are part of the body of Christ. Each is a son and daughter of God. Each is in the family of God. Each is endowed with the Holy Spirit of God. Each is part of the body of Christ. He's the head of the body of the church. In Romans 12, 3 through 5, it says, For I say... Through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, sound-minded, clear-headed. As God has dealt each one a measure of faith, for as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. The measure of faith, now he's talking here in Ephesians about the measure of of grace, all that is needed. Every person in the body is different. No two people are alike, as we've stated. Being different, each person is never to compare themselves among others. They become unwise when they do that. Because when I choose somebody, either I'm going to choose someone less than me so that I can shine. Or I'm going to choose someone better than me to justify myself that I can't get involved. I'll do one of the two. Listen to Second Corinthians 10.12. For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. You are so unique, as I said, that there's no one like you. There's no one else that can do what God has called you to do or to be what God has called you to be. 
God made it easy. What, what, what do we call each other? Because we forget our names. We call, hey, brother, hey, sister, how you doing? Right? We belong to the same family, but we're, we understand there's, we're distinct. One from the other. Each person is never to think they can do without the other member of the body. Listen to uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 14 through 18. He says, uh, for in the fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not of the hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not of the eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has said the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. Now, as he pleased means it's the best place for you. You are fitted, equipped, enabled, prepared, endowed for that work. You might be a little toe. Don't get much attention. I mean, my, my, your toes, just think about it. They, you know, they, majority of the time, they spend in darkness. Uh, your pituitary glands, and nobody sees them, but try to live without them. I, I mean, no one's ever going to tell you, hey, you have some neat-looking pituitary glands, or you have some nice-looking toes. I mean, yeah. And yet, just lose your big toe and see what happens to your body balance. This is your thumb. Very, very important. Each person is um, interrelated and interdependent to each other in Christ. We're all interrelated means that we affect one another. That we are interdependent means we need one another. So... Most of us like the, the, the needing. I need you. But here comes the responsibility. I affect you. And there's that balance. The soundness of diversity is in the uniqueness of each individual. Secondly comes the source of diversity. Notice the Apostle Paul declared that grace alone is the fountainhead of the diversity in the one body. Paul used the word grace, charis, which simply means unmerited favor, with the idea of beauty. Grace is a common Greek uh, salutation, as we've pointed out before. It conveys beauty, charm, giving joy to the hearer and the beholder. Grace, in its classical meaning, is thankfulness. It's translated trustworthy and acceptable in Romans 6.17 and 2 Corinthians 8.16. Grace is that which is undeserved, without claim or expectation, an act that is beyond the ordinary course that is expected. Grace is the ever-flowing and constant supply of God to the believer. Listen to Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. It's all by grace. Paul mentions the word grace 12 times in the epistle and uses it in three different ways. First, grace for salvation. Uh, one six one seven two five two seven two eight. Grace for life, Ephesians one two, four twenty nine, six twenty four. And then grace for endowment of ministry that we're talking about, Ephesians three two seven eight and four seven. Listen to the way he uses these. In Ephesians three two, he says. He says, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. He's talking about his apostleship to the Gentiles. 
in 3.7, of which I became a minister according to the gift of grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. And then in 3.8, to me, when less than the least of all saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. In our text, it is the supernatural endowment by God to the believer that grace was given to equip and enable them to be all that they can be for the good and benefit of the body of the church. The emphasis of verse 7 is not the spiritual gifts. That will come in verse 8 and 11. This is the special endowment of grace for us to be all we can be in the service of the church. Paul was saying, not one person is without his or her special grace for this matter. No one. Notice Paul declared the grace of God is channeled through the person of Jesus Christ by the phrase, Christ's gift. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, John 1, 14 declares. God became man, the incarnation. And of his fullness we all have received and grace for grace, John 1, 16. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ, John 1.17. Grace is imparted by the agent of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, who Jesus would send in his own name to testify of him. And he is called the Spirit of Grace, Zechariah 12.10 and Hebrews 10.29. Peter puts it this way. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, be, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. For 1 Peter 1.13. Peter again tells us we are to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 3.18. John closes the book of Revelation by saying the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Revelation twenty two twenty one, Grace. And if we want to start the doctrine of grace, you've got to go back to Genesis. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. <laughs> grace started in the Old Testament, not in the New. Grace is like someone who knows all you've ever done. All you've ever thought. All you ever plotted. And despite all this, because you have repented, loves you, and does only good for you and to you. Wow. In spite of knowing everything I've done, everything I've thought, everything I've intended. That's grace. We must be careful not to confuse supernatural grace that prepares and enables us for all of our life in Christ with natural talents and abilities. They're two different things. Our natural talents and abilities are disposed by our genetic makeup from our parents, uh, accompanied with education and training and learning. The supernatural gift of grace is completely endowed to us by Jesus to fit us into the body for effectiveness to and for the glory of God. Listen to 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For who makes you to differ from another? And what do you have that you have not received? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? <laughs> everything you will ever acquire, everything has been imparted to you by Jesus Christ. You and I have not worked for it, earned it, or deserve it. It's been imparted to us by grace and grace alone. Nothing else. 
The New Testament describes grace like this. Great, all abundant, all sufficient, glorious, rich, undeserved for sinners, manifold. <laughs> and there's a lot more. That's enough. Grace is amazing. That is why we are warned against certain things regarding grace. We're not to abuse the grace of God, Romans 6, 1. We're not to frustrate the grace of God, Galatians 2.21. We're not to turn from the grace of God, Galatians 5.3-4. Strict warnings. Therefore, we are commanded to do certain things regarding the grace imparted to us. We are to be saved by grace, Ephesians 2.8. We are to stand in grace, Romans 5.2. We're to receive gifts by God's grace in Romans 12.6. We are to be abound in grace, 2 Corinthians 9.8. And we are to know that God is able to make grace abound towards us in 2 Corinthians 9.9. 9. And we are to be sufficient in God's grace to be strong in 2 Corinthians 12.9. We're to speak with grace, Ephesians 4.29. We're to be strong in grace, 2 Timothy 2.1. We're to grow in grace, 2 Peter 3.18. And we are to inherit grace in 1 Peter 3.7. The Bible has a lot to say about grace. <laughs> a whole bunch of stuff. You see, the source of diversity is the grace endowed to each individual. Each one of us. Thirdly, we have the, um, the sovereignty of diversity. It says, according to the measure of Christ's gift. The Apostle Paul Reveal that the grace endowed to each individual is different. Listen to the words. According to the measure. Paul indicated that Christ is the one bringing about the diversity by the different measure of grace that he sovereignly distributes to each person. So being the head... He not only has the endowment through wisdom and knowledge and understanding the end from the beginning, that he knows exactly who fits where. He prepares them to get that done. And as he does that, if people obey, then everything flows. Everything works. From our perspective, we would think then there's some people that are rebellious and it won't work. No, because God is sufficient for his church himself. What happens is people rip themselves off by not being part of the body, by not serving, by not being used of God. They're the ones that lose out. If you've ever ministered to somebody, either purposely or by accident, and God has used you to minister to them and to share the gospel and to answer some questions and even perhaps see the greatest miracle in the world to see them accept Christ as you minister to them, you know that that does more for you than anything you can ever do for yourself. Because you have experienced exactly the miracle of God using you to reach others, and you know that you couldn't persuade anybody, but that God brought that person to the knowledge of salvation through you, the instrument of God. And that is such a high privilege and such an incredible benefit that so many never know about. And yet they're Christians. They're going to be in heaven. They're saved by grace of faith. The phrase according to the measure indicates the quality, not the quantity. Um, I'm sorry, the, qua the quantity, not the quality. Let's reverse it. It speaks about the quality. Because when we think of measure, we're thinking about a portion to an extent. And God does give a portion, but it doesn't, it's not affected by quality because all of his attributes are immutable. 
So in a way that we can't fully understand, that portion is sufficient to endow you to be effective for what he calls you by enabling you. But it's never effective in terms of quality. The measure means the determined extent, the portion measured off. So the proportion allocated to the believer has a twofold purpose. The first is in chapter 4, verse 13. The portion of grace endowed to each person to develop and mature them into the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. First, it begins with you. Because you cannot give what you don't have. Secondly, in verse 16 of this chapter, the portion of grace endowed to each person is to benefit and edify the body of Christ in love. So you have to be responsible to grow in your full maturity to Christ, and then as you're fit in the body, then that carryover value, that extension, is for the edification of the body. You're growing, you're maturing. You're more effective the next day than you were the day before. If you just look at it in a progression. Not that everybody grows like this. We all have bad days. Or whatever, we, whether you play baseball or football or, or you're a Christian, okay? But um, first you and then the body of Christ. Now, notice Paul indirectly indicated that the believer has a personal responsibility to be all that he or she can be in Christ due to and through the grace and doubt to them. The very fact that you and I have been in doubt we are under great obligation and responsibility. Jesus gave many parables about bad and evil stewards. Being endowed with a responsibility, having the ability to multiply it. That one buried it. Did nothing. They refuse to do their part in the body of the church. They refuse to do their particular ministry that God has endowed him and called him for. I think of my own life. I'm no different than you. And just think if I had not responded to the Lord. And I would have just been mediocre. Just stay at home and go to church once in a while. Now, make sure that God would have got somebody else. He would have got somebody else to take care of my, my, what I'm going to do, okay? No one could, could do what I do, but someone can replace what I do, okay? That's the way God works. But I stop and think of all the people going back to 1973 that... We knew because when my brother and I were in the world, um, you know, a lot of people knew us because of our reputation. And then with Kung Fu and different people and everything else. And then God saved us and God used all that. And I stop and think the many people that, that we've had the high privilege to minister to, communicate to, be a light or something. Never that we're perfect. No way. But stop and think. Of the people that wouldn't have gotten the benefit of the ministry. All the glories to God, never to a man. But but that applies to you also. You know, there's some, there's some people that, you know, they call up here. And, you know, you can all just tell when they're coming out of Catholicism. They, is Father Xavier going to be teaching this morning? Or, you know, or... um. Or people just call up and say, hey, is uh, Pastor Rex going to be there? Or, you know, because if they find out I'm not going to be here, they don't come. That's why I don't tell you when I'm not going to be here. Shame on those people. If this is your church, you should be here rain or shine. If someone just got up here just and read the Bible, just read a chapter, made no comment on it, you should walk out of here fed to the fullest because you have the Spirit of God, the mind of Christ, and your heart should be open to be taught by God. 
It is not in the man and it's in the word of God. So important and people have lost that. Today, pastors are performers. Today, pastors are celebrities. They're CEOs. They're everything but pastor teachers. God helped them before God on the judgment. Notice the Apostle Paul revealed the measure was Christ's gift. The gift endowed by a certain measure to each person was nothing but a gift. The word Dora simply means a present given. Now when someone gives you a present, you can reject it. You don't have to accept it. Sometimes people refuse it politely at first because they don't want to impose and they all oh, know you shouldn't have and then when we go back and forth it's kind of embarrassment and you better take it because you know it's kind of awkward and, you know. or if you don't really like the person and for whatever reason they came and gave you a gift and you want to snub me say so, you know don't give me that gift so you can reject the gift both ways like that. God has given us a gift, and it's simply a gift. Christ Christos is the one, the anointed Messiah, who's distributed these different quantities of grace out of love. Because when someone gives you a gift, it's not because they hate you. Now, granted, some people may feel obligated, so they say, you know, get the cheapest thing. You know what I mean? And then you open it up and you say, Oh, that's nice. Thank you. What am I going to do with this thing? But when Christ gives his gifts, no one ever says that. When you look at the gift of grace to empower you, you say, Lord, are you kidding me? Are you serious? That you're going to make me to be able to do what brings glory to you? That you're going to be able to make me be capable of communicating your gospel. Of seeing people through your eyes. Of having the high privilege of seeing you work in and through and by individuals. Wow. What an incredible privilege. Higher privilege than being president of the United States. Or anything in the world. I have the greatest job in the world. How can I even call it a job? To study. To minister. To see what God does in people's life. What a blessing. Phew. Too much. This word, Dora, is found 11 times in the New Testament. All Related to the divine gift of God in one way or another. No person deserves more. No person receives less. The allotted portion was and is according to the sovereign wisdom of Jesus being the head of the church. So he doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't make mistakes when he created you a male or female. He doesn't make mistakes when he brings your wife or your husband. He doesn't make mistakes in the endowment or the gifts that he gives to you. He doesn't make mistakes. You and I make mistakes. <laughs> we make a mistake thinking that he made a mistake. The church being his body, he's there to direct, guide, and command. The church is an organism. I can't repeat that enough. Most churches are organizations today. They're changing the nature of the church. The emergent church people, Brian McLaren and all the rest of the boys, they are redefining the church to Christian and Christianity. 
They are culturalizing the church. They're defining the church, the Christian and Christianity, by the culture. Postmodern. <laughs> Intellectual logic. Philosophies. Mixed in with the word of God. What a sad mistake. The gift of grace is also in accord with all the will and purposes of God. They can't contradict. He's mentioned the good pleasure of his will in Ephesians 1, 5, 11, and 3, 11 already. You see, the Holy Spirit distributes individually as he wills, 1 Corinthians 12, 11. And he is the one who does the work for Jesus in his name. He's the silent witness of Jesus. He never speaks of himself. He never brings glory to himself. Sovereignty is the right of God to do as he pleases with his creation. Now, people always desire freedom to do what they want, when they want, to who they want, where they want. But that's not freedom. It's sovereignty. And only God has that because he is perfect and he always, always makes the right decisions knows what is best for each of us, has not himself in mind, and he never, ever makes a mistake. So he's the only sovereign one that can exercise that fully. God does not make mistakes, and for that reason, he does as he pleases, only as he pleases, always as he pleases. And let me add, when and where and to whom he pleases. And no one can say, what are you doing? And yet never violates one person's will. If that doesn't blow a fuse, I don't know what will. Because to you and I, it doesn't make any sense how that can be. But that's why he's God. And we're not. If I could understand God, I wouldn't need him. If I could think like God, I wouldn't need him. A contradiction to diversity is beautifully illustrated in our culture of corruption by its political correctness. Using the word diversity to teach we are all the same, when in fact it means different. It's a complete lie. It's a contradiction. Look up the word in the dictionary. Diversity. Doesn't mean same. This is different. They do this by denying and eliminating the diversity of what is good, moral, and ethical. Calling it judgmental and puritanical while promoting evil for good and good for evil. It's a complete contradiction of the very word. Yet they very pompously and very intellectually feel they're superior to you as they utter out their nonsense that only works in a wholesome, productive, and well-funded society you can peddle all kinds of lies where there is jobs and money and facilitating. But once all that goes away, the lies don't work anymore. Because they don't produce, they destroy. That's the real shame. The sovereignty of God and diversity is evident throughout the scriptures. Let me give you some examples. The prophet Habakkuk in Habakkuk 1.6 had a problem with the sovereignty of God as he was going to use the Babylonians to discipline Israel. He said, Lord, I'm your prophet. If I told you, you wouldn't believe it. Come on. Okay, I'm going to use them. He said, I can't believe I told you. Because we have a hard time. God, how can you use them to chasten us? Because you're my people and you're just as bad as them. So I'm going to use them to chasing you. 
I've got to judge you, so I'm going to use somebody to judge you. No big deal. He says, for I will work a work in your days which you will not believe, though it be told you. Jonah had the same problem with God forgiving the Assyrians sovereignly. God was willing to forgive them if they repented. Sovereign. So he ran the other way. It isn't that uh, Jonah didn't know his God. That's why he ran. Because he knew that if he preached and they repented, God would forgive them. He didn't want to be like his God to be forgiving. Jonah probably hated the Syrians because they probably killed some of his family or what they did to the northern region of Israel. Simple. Nebuchadnezzar gives the beautiful definition of God's sovereignty in Daniel 4.35. Listen, all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? That's great. Isaiah exemplified God's sovereignty as God calls Cyrus. Thus saith the Lord Yahweh to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him and loosen the armor of kings, to open before him the double door so that the gates will not be shut. Isaiah 45.1 He was choosing Cyrus to destroy Babylon. He gives him the battle plan. That's what Habakkuk was all disturbed about. <laughs> wow. It's illustrated by Jesus in the parable of the laborers in Matthew chapter 20. As they each received uh, their wages from the last of the first. And uh, they murmured about the unfairness of it. And in verse 15, the householder said, Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Then verse 15 says, take what is yours and go away. God's sovereign. He made a deal for a certain amount. What I make with another one is none of your business. Wow. Whatever God does is always right and perfect. In Romans, it is the major theme of his dealing with Israel and the Gentiles in chapter 9. He warns the Gentiles not to boast against Israel. Does he cut them off? In regards to Esau and Jacob, he's sovereign. In regards to Pharaoh, he's sovereign. He illustrates the potter and the clay in that chapter. As creator, as savior, as father. He's sovereign. Now seeing that God is all powerful and all present and all knowing, possessing for knowledge, the epitome of perfect Perfection of wisdom. The fact that he is eternal, infinite, immutable. Should his sovereignty worry us in regards to whether it will be fair or just? (laughs) It's silly. And yet you have people charging God so arrogantly that if I was God, I would smoke him. Right now. Oh, that we would commit ourselves to him as the faithful creator, First Peter 4.19, and our sufferings, he says. Remember that the sovereignty of God is like foreknowledge. It never violates the free will of man. Ever. Woe to him who strives with his maker, Isaiah 45.9 says. Let me leave you with some important questions for each of us as individuals because that's what he's focusing on here, the individual in doubt. Are you aware of the measure of the grace as a gift bestowed to your in your life? Are you aware of that? Are you fulfilling this purpose in the will of God by the bestowment of his grace in the body of his church? It's real simple. Are you aware of it? 
Are you stepping into it and exercising it? Might be here, might be somewhere else. It's got to be somewhere. But it's going to be in this church. Your gift is not sitting in a pew or a chair. It's not a gift. That's disobedience. Comfortable disobedience. The sovereignty of diversity is a gift to each individual. And so this one little verse just started opening up like a flower. (laughs) Paul magnified unity by the diversity of each individual endowed to be the functioning part of the body. Characterized by these three things. The soundness of diversity is in the uniqueness of each individual. The source of diversity is the grace endowed to each individual. And the sovereignty of diversity is a gift to each individual. No one's lacking. No one's short. Everybody's busted. Jump in the trenches. You'll have a great time. Father, thank you for your grace and your love and your goodness. We thank you for tonight and we pray, Lord, you would continue to deal with our hearts. The Lord, you would be glorified in everything. Lord, we thank you for the work you've done through the years, the people you've brought, the people you've saved, the people you have used and sent out. And you've used them in a greater way than you've ever used us. Lord, we thank you. We pray you continue to do that work. We pray tonight for anybody who's here who doesn't know you, Lord, that you would speak to them. Allow them to see their need of you, need of forgiveness and salvation. As you're praying, if you're here tonight, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. Jesus died for your sins. He paid the price. And he rose from the dead after death to assure you that you can call upon him and he'll forgive you. Make a new creature of you and give to you eternal life. Just because he loves you. He has nothing to gain from you. He has everything to lose. (laughs) But he loves you. So maybe you're over the internet. If you want to accept Christ Jesus, if you believe what I've just stated, then you can call upon him right now. This is your prayer of repentance to him. He's going to save you right where you're at. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.